On the virtual Bible study tonight, we want to do a follow-up to our study last week. Last week, we talked about human institutions and how men have decided that perhaps they could improve on God's plan by setting up organizations of their own to do the important work that God has assigned the church to do. And I hope that all agree that we discovered that human institutions certainly are not authorized uh, uh, at all. Some have decided to try to do something a little different and try to keep it within the bounds of maybe what God has authorized. And so instead of human institutions, some Christians have substituted what is known as the sponsoring church arrangement. And tonight on our virtual Bible study, we want to examine the sponsoring church arrangement. Is it scriptural? Should we be working in this fashion? That will be our study tonight on the virtual Bible study. Stay with us. We'll get started right away. It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, Internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 93- 3-1-3-8-1-4-5-6-7, or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And we welcome you to the Virtual Bible Study. This is the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, April the 1st, 2021. We're glad that you're listening, and we hope that you'll participate with us as we engage in the virtual Bible study tonight. You can send us emails. Uh, you can get in the chat room uh, and chat away with others who are listening and participating in the program. You could also possibly give us a phone call at 877-381-4567. We thank you for being with us on the Virtual Bible Study tonight. We think our program is always better when we get audience participation, so join in with us. We especially hope that you'll get in that chat room and give yourself a, a name to use in the chat room so we can kind of keep track of who's who's who. And uh, you can use your real name. You can give yourself a pen name. We don't care. Just uh, join us uh, in this discussion. I am not in my normal chair. I'm in Jacob's chair tonight. He's out of pocket, uh, involved with some other activities. And so I'm over here running the board, which is always a scary proposition. My good friend and brother, Monty Overton, is over in my chair. Monty, welcome to the Virtual Bible Study. Hello, Greg. It's good to be here tonight. And uh, our brother, Kyle, is, as usual, running the board. Kyle, welcome. It's good to be here. And so uh, we're going to follow up. The discussion we had last week, Monty, last week we talked about the fact that men have sort of surprisingly believed that they could improve on God's plan, for instance, in the work of evangelism. There's a lot of people to be taught in in the world, and so men decided that it would be great to organize this effort and set up, for instance, Alexander Campbell was instrumental in establishing what was known as the American Christian Missionary Society. And so you set up this human institution. Uh, They are governed by a board of directors with a chairman or a president or some such things. Individuals and churches would send money to the missionary society. And then the missionary society would decide what preachers to support, 
what evangelistic fields to engage, uh, what programs to participate in, and so forth. And, and that was all done under the the direction and guidance of the board of directors. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked last week about the fact that you, you couldn't find any hint of such a thing in any place in the New Testament. Churches just didn't work that way. No, we, we talk a lot about authority in the New Testament for, and in the Bible for doing what we do as a, in our worship and our, and our serving God today. And part of what we look for is patterns. We talk about that a lot. And we don't find any authority, command, example, inference, or pattern where approved pattern where that was done at all in the New Testament. Exactly right. Exactly right. So uh, mm-hmm. the conclusion of our study last week was certainly that human institutions uh, to do the work that God has assigned to the church are simply not authorized. Well, uh, uh, Kyle, I don't know if you see on your desktop, I put a couple of uh, charts. Do you see those? I don't know. I should. I, I didn't even think to warn you about that before we started. So one of those is is a, a sort of representative of the missionary society, the the one that's blue in color, blue background. And you might throw that up on the screen so that so that that sh- kind of shows what we were talking about last week. In the missionary society arrangement, a human institution. Churches send money to the board of directors of the missionary society, and they decide how to dispense that money, support preachers, engage in programs, and so forth. But notice how the churches give the oversight of that to the human institution known as the missionary society. Now, that is just nowhere found in the pages of Scripture, and that was, our, as we said, was our study last week. And, and I hope that everybody agrees that that. You just can't, you can't go that way. So some, well, I think really well-intentioned people decide we'll go about it a different way. We'll try to get the churches organized. We'll try to do something on a big, grand scale. But we're not going to set up a human institution to do that. God ordained the church money, and he ordained that elders should oversee the church and so we're going to take one church, and and Kyle, this is this is the chart called the sponsoring church arrangement. And so they decided that they would set up one church to oversee a given work, and then other churches would send money to that church. That church would come to be known as the sponsoring church, and the elders, not a board of directors, not a chairman and a president, but the elders of that church, known as the sponsoring church, would receive the funds, and then that specific eldership would oversee the dispersal of that fu- the funds to support preachers to engage in programs and so forth. So if you look at those two charts, what you recognize is that the pattern depicted is very similar. The difference is instead of a human institution at the center of things, what we have is a, a church at the center of things and the elders of the church overseeing the work to be done. But it's not, it's not exclusively their own work. They've, they've asked and solicited funds from other churches to make it possible for them to do this bigger work. Yeah. And really, when you look at these two plans, then the, the way they're, they're laid out here, really about all it seems like they've changed is just the name. Yeah. They have the the process they're going through is the same, and rather than having an elected board of directors, they've got appointed elderships, and 
you know, that might be closer to what the Bible pattern is, but we still don't find that in the Bible. We yeah. don't read about it anywhere in the New Testament. I think you're exactly right. Now, mm-hmm. and, and the justification is, well, this is not a human institution. They would say, we agree with you that the human institutions mm-hmm. are not right. But this is a church after all, and these are elders of a church that are overseeing this work. How could that be wrong? That's the argument. Well, well, the problem, I think, one of their ideas is this this work of evangelizing the world is is a greater work than one church could possibly do. You know, there's just so much work to do. In that, that So they solicited help from other churches to do it. But when we look at the pattern in the New Testament, we see that in the New Testament times, in roughly 40 years, the whole world was evangelized without using this plan right here. Exactly right. And there's more of us now than there were then probably to do the work. So if we would just follow God's pattern and do the work, we could do the same thing. Exactly right. I asked, when I sent out some questions to our update list earlier today, I asked some questions. And I'm just going to first, I'm just going to cover the first one Uh Give some examples of the sponsoring church arrangement. So if you have any doubt, I hope those charts that Kyle put up on the screen are, are, are helpful in describing the thing that, that we're discussing. Uh, through the years, I've, I've just tried to keep a file of flyers and letters and solicitations that come in to illustrate what brethren are doing. Uh, here's one from the Church Street Church of Christ in Lewisburg, Tennessee. Lewisburg is the county seat of the next county over from us, Marshall County. And so the the uh, uh, elders uh, at the Church Street Church of Christ in Lewisburg sent out this solicitation. Uh, our fifth annual Marshall County Tent Meeting uh, is an effort of the Churches of Christ throughout Marshall County under the oversight of the Church Street Church of Christ. And so all the churches in Marshall County are working together to put on this annual county tent meeting. But the Church Street Church is the sponsoring church, and the elders of the Church Street Church in Lewisburg are the ones who oversee that work. In other words, here's the number of congregations. It's just like that chart that we put on the screen. Here's the number of congregations. They're all sending money to that one church to oversee this bigger work of the countywide tent meeting. Mm-hmm. I think it illustrates what we're talking about here. Uh, here's another one. Um, some of our listeners may be familiar with the Memphis School of Preaching. Uh And in their newsletter, they sent out this statement. The Memphis School of Preaching is a work of the Knight Arnold Church of Christ and is under the oversight of the elders of the Knight Arnold Church of Christ. However, the magnitude of the work is such that no one congregation has the finances to carry on this great work alone. Although Knight Arnold puts more than $300,000 per year into the operation of the school, it simply does not have the financial ability to carry the load of the school on its own. Therefore, other faithful congregations and individuals assist in this work in a financial way. So notice specifically, it's under the, uh, they said, under the oversight of the elders of the Knight Arnold Church of Christ, but other congregations assist in a financial way. Other churches are sending money to them. That church, the elders of that church, are overseeing this work mm-hmm. of training preachers. Now, again, is it a good thing to train preachers? They Most of them need training. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But, again, we can't, we can't just say 
the end justifies the means. It's it's a good goal. It's a wonderful objective. Therefore, we're going to do it one way or the other. The end does not justify the means. You know, if you think about it, we have a uh, an example in the Bible where someone was going to do something like that, and it was King David. And he decided that he had a really nice house to live in since he was king now. And the Ark of the Covenant and the, and the worship was all still being done in the tabernacle, basically a, a really nice tent. And he didn't think that was quite right, that he was living in a cedar house and, uh, and the Ark of the Covenant was living in a tent. And so he talked to Nathan the prophet, who was a, re- a religious authority figure, you might say, and told him he would like to build a temple. And Nathan said, sounds like a grand idea, go for it. But God came to Nathan and told him, you go tell David, I never asked for that. When did I ever say Yeah, when did I ever ask for that? Yeah, that's right. And so we have, we have that an example of somebody trying to do something different than the way God had specified outside the pattern that God had given. Because when the tabernacle and all those things were constructed and their uh, religious practices were instituted, God told Moses repeatedly, do everything exactly after the pattern that I showed you on the mountain. Yep. So that was God's commands. Do it by the pattern you've been given. David tried to do something different than the pattern. It sounded like a good idea. He had noble, and even God told him, "You, I appreciate it that you had, basically I'm paraphrasing it pretty bad, but I appreciate it that you had the good intentions, but it's not what I ask you to do. That's right. And so for these same people in these operations that we're talking about here, I'm not questioning that they've got good intentions. But it's not after the pattern God asks us to do. I think that's well said. Uh, here's another example. This this is a 20 year old example. Uh, there was an effort to put advertising in the the newspaper USA Today. That's back when newspapers were more widely read than they are. I don't know that newspapers anywhere are doing much good. But back in that day, USA Today was widely circulated. A lot of people were looking at it, and so. Uh, it was decided to try to run ads, evangelistic ads, in the pages of USA Today. Now, this is a this is a solicitation that was reserved, or received rather, a solicitation received concerning this ad campaign in USA Today. No single congregation could support this effort on its own, nor should it. The Maple Hill Church of Christ in Lebanon, Tennessee, is sponsoring this effort. So now get, get the idea. This, this is a, a work on a grand scale. The lo, no local congregation could possibly do. They're actually admitting that, yeah. that this is a work bigger than the scope that any local congregation could, could think to undertake. So send us money so that the eldership of this Maple Hill Church of Christ can oversee mm-hmm. this very grand work. I've saved this one for years. I used to live and preach in Knoxville, Tennessee. And back in 1982, there was a World's Fair in Knoxville, Tennessee. I don't know if any of our listeners might have attended that. The 1982 World's Fair in Knoxville, Tennessee. I don't know if there's been a World's Fair since then. Uh, but it was decided it would be great for Churches of Christ to have a booth at the World's Fair in mm-hmm. Knoxville. So... Here's, the, here's the, again, a, a flyer of solicitation that was sent out. The Churches of Christ World's Fair exhibit is being developed under the supervision of the elders of the Laurel Church of Christ in Knoxville with help of sister congregations and individuals throughout the world. Uh, in addition to reaching the lost with the gospel, this exhibit is bringing congregation of the Lord's Church closer together in a great new vision and purpose. 
that almost sounds scary, doesn't yeah. it? You know, what's wrong with what's wrong with the old vision and purpose of of the church? Yeah. Uh, they're 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 envisioning a, a new vision and purpose. But again, this is under the supervision of the elders of the Laurel Church of Christ in Knoxville. Uh, so they were they were soliciting churches to send them money so they could put on that World's Fair booth way back in 1982. Here's a letter received from an evangelist named Kirk White, and Kirk White was going uh, it was seeking support to preach for a church in Mascot, Tennessee. I don't imagine many of our listeners have ever even heard of Mascot, Tennessee. It's over in East Tennessee, not a very big place. Uh, so this fellow named Kirk White was wanting to go there and preach, and he received a response from the church in Maryville, Tennessee. Dear Brother White, in our regular elders meeting, we decided to sponsor you in the mascot work by receiving contributions from your supporters and sending you the amount received each month. Please instruct each of your supporters to send checks to the Maryville Church of Christ in Maryville, Tennessee, and be sure to mark each check Kirk White Fund. So this church in Maryville was going to receive funds from other churches earmarked for this evangelist. They were sponsoring him and his work in that congregation at Mascot. Wonder why they didn't just send the money to him directly. Well, I get the impression from the way that was worded that he was already had people was going to send him directly and he's saying and they're saying now instead of sending it directly to you, send it to us so we can send it back to you. Yeah. Which doesn't make sense <laughs> at all to me. Well, I mean, we got it <laughs> making circuits in the, in the mail yeah. for nothing. Exactly right. Well, uh, Kent Bailey down in uh, uh, Calhoun, Georgia sent in and said examples of, of a sponsoring church arrangement are numerous, various TV, radio, and or evangelistic endeavors, and even some benevolent works. In these total situations, elders of a specific local church oversee the work or works of which numerous local churches are related. That's exactly a good description of it. Dwight out in Iowa says there are no examples of the sponsoring church arrangement in the scriptures. What we have today is denominations taking and having a main headquarters church, and these denominations sending their monies to the main headquarters to do the work of that local congregation. In other words, I believe they are paying someone else to do the job they are to be doing themselves. Uh, I, I I would agree with Dwight that denominations function at this level mm-hmm. very much. But actually, sadly, churches of Christ are adopting that yeah. methodology as well. And that's, and that's what is concerning, and that's really why we're addressing this in our study tonight. We're going to grab a quick break, uh, and uh, when we come back... Uh, we want to talk about could we find anything like that? It, do, is it is it anywhere found in the New Testament that churches operated at that level? We're going to take a quick break. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Don't touch that mouse. The virtual Bible study will be back right after this. Here's a quick thought. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Isaiah 55, 6. Have you ever thought that now is the day of salvation? We're not promised tomorrow. So seek the Lord while he may be found. Seize the day. 
Here's some quotes worth pondering. The measure of a man is not only what he does on Sunday, but also who he is Monday through Saturday. It's easier to make tough decision if you are fully and firmly committed to your beliefs and values. Those who are looking at short-term problems will be frustrated, while those who are looking at long-range goals will be content. The world belongs to the man who is wise enough to change his mind in the presence of facts. Man, wish I'd said that. Use your internet connection for something good. Listen to the virtual Bible study every week. Now, back to the program. And we're back on the virtual Bible study. We're examining the sponsoring church arrangement. Would it, would it, could it possibly be an acceptable way to organize congregations on a grand scale to do a big, big work of evangelism or maybe as, as, uh, uh, was mentioned, uh, there by Kent Bailey, maybe an, a benevolent work. Could we organize churches by saying, here's a congregation. We'll make them the sponsoring church. We'll have other churches send money to them and let the elders of the sponsoring church oversee how this work will be conducted. I asked, the second question I asked to our update list, and we always remind you, if you're not getting our updates, send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. Just say, add me to the list, and we will do it, and you'll get an update midday on Thursdays as to what our discussion was going to be that night. Here's the second question we ask. If the sponsoring church arrangement is authorized in the New Testament, what would we expect to find in the scriptures? Well, what would we expect to find, Monty? If it's authorized, what would we expect to find? Well, I would think if it was an authorized work that we would find a command from the apostles that God said do this. Or we would be able to find an example where they did it, and we would be able to read about what they did in that effort or we would be able to find a necessary inference as we understand the ways of finding authority that the way this process is something that is, it's necessary to accomplish that work. Uh, or we just don't see that anywhere in the New Testament for, ha- for this sponsoring church arrangement. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. If it's authorized, we would expect, as you said, that we would read some command to organize at this level, or at least some example where churches did, mm-hmm. or something that would infer that this was the way it should be done, and none of that exists in the New Testament. Uh, so, very simply stated, it is it is without authority for those reasons. That's how we establish authority. Command or, or direct statement, approved example, necessary inference, and we just don't have that for the sponsoring church. So as a follow-up that to that, we ask, instead of the sponsoring church arrangement, how did local churches support evangelism beyond their own local communities? Well, the way they did that was that they sent money directly to evangelists in various fields who were doing the work of spreading the gospel and needed financial assistance to get it done. For instance... Uh, the Apostle Paul was supported by the church at Philippi. In Philippians chapter 1, he says, verse 3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Uh, so they had had fellowship with Paul. The word fellowship there means joint participation. They had cooperated with Paul in the spreading of the gospel. They did that by sending money. In chapter 4 of Philippians, verse 15, 
He said, Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity. Uh, so uh, the church, there we see that the church at Philippi, they were doing a work of evangelism, not only in their own local community, but when Paul was off at some mm-hmm. distant place, they regularly sent support. Notice, not through, first of all, not through a human institution, not through a missionary society, but also not through some sponsoring church. They had direct fellowship with yeah. Paul, one-on-one communication. And as we talk about patterns, that establishes a pattern, an approved apostolic example of, of how this should be done. And so we have that and no authority to do it any other way. So I don't understand why we'd even, it would in our mind to try to do it some other way when we've been given clear direction. And I think the point you made earlier is really a, a worthy one. Someone said, well, yeah, but that, but that just doesn't seem very efficient. You know, there's so much work to be done. If we got it organized on a bigger scale, we could be more successful. Well, how more, how much more successful would you like to be than they were when Paul said in, in Colossians chapter one, verse 23, that the gospel had been preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. Sounds like they were pretty efficient. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, you, you can't, as they say sometimes, you can't argue with success. Yeah. But, you know, we just don't have to be more efficient than doing it the way God said to. I mean, yeah. if we think we're being more efficient than God, I mean, we've really got the big head in it. I mean, we've really over overinflated our egos to think that we got more sense than God on how to do anything. Yes, exactly right. And I do think that... Uh, the idea of doing something different in our mind, more efficient or effective than what God authorized, that's presumptuous. Yeah. You know, it's actually an insult, a slap at a slap at God to say, God, you just you kind of missed it on this. You know, we could we got a better idea than you've got. Let's do it this way. Uh, you know, I think. I've listened to the book of Job this week, and as God talked to Job, because Job had been saying all along, talking to his friends, if I could just get a chance to talk to God, I'd get an answer to why things is going this way for me. And when he finally got his answer, his chance to talk to God, to his credit, he said, I've said too much already. But God quizzed Job and asked him for answers and said, where was you when I created the world? And he goes through all these things that God, he did in creation and asked Job, where was you when I'd, when I'd done these things? Basically saying, you wasn't even in existence then, and I created you, so who are you to question me? Well, who are we to question the way God set up things? I mean, the same questions that God asked Job would apply to us. Where was we when God yeah. planned all these things out from eternity? Yeah, and that's the key. The, the church set up the way it's described in the New Testament was a part of God's eternal plan. Mm-hmm. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 9, to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ to the intent that now to the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be made known by the church the manifold wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. The church part of God's eternal mm-hmm. purpose. And again, I, I'm not willing to go out there and say, God, I think I can improve on your eternal plan. You know, we can't even 
comprehend eternity. I mean, we got words that describe it, but I don't think in my feeble mind that I can truly comprehend eternity because everything in my life has a beginning and an end somewhere. Yeah. And I, it's just the way it is. We're humans, right. and that's the way we are. That's the way we think. God thinks in a far grander, more vast scale. He can comprehend eternity. He lives eternally. And so in my limited capacity, I can't think as far out as God has to know what's best. Exactly right. And really, and, and, and again, we'd be doing some supposition here, but but it may very well have been that God n- knew that if churches organized on these grander scale, it would serve to spread the infection of false mm-hmm. doctrine. You know, here we've been in this pandemic year. Everybody's worried about being infected. You know, you get around to something yeah. and you get the infection. <clears throat> well, if you organize all these churches uh, in the either by virtue of the human institution, like we talked about last week, or by the sponsoring church arrangement, all that takes is for one just to get off on one point, and then that is just spread like wildfire. Mm-hmm. Because of this centralization that has taken place. So well, we can see examples of that in history where churches have gone beyond the organization that God gave them and they've departed from the gospel of Christ and teaching other things. And each time through their whatever process they use, they come up with some new way of doing things and it's sent throughout their whole organization. Yeah. So we can see that we can see the wisdom of God in keeping things simple. Exactly. Uh, Kent in Georgia says, if such an arrangement were authorized by the New Testament, one would be able to find a specific statement, an example, an implication ascertained by necessary inference that would prove such to be the case. Rather than centralizing the work of local churches equally related to a specific work or works under a general overseeing eldership, each local church cooperated independently and concurrently engaged in overseeing their own work by sending funds directly to such evangelistic works, not through centralized local church. We do not question the motives nor the sincerity of those involved in centralization. However, when such occurs, brethren end up sacrificing part of their independence and autonomy. We want to talk more about that. I think Kent is really on to something there. Uh, Dwight in Iowa says, if it were authorized, the sponsoring church arrangement that is, we would have some sort of example in the form of command or necessary inference or an apostolic example showing us how this sponsoring church arrangement is to be organized. Individually, such support was given directly to the apostles, Acts 5, 32 and following. Then the apostles took the monies to those needy saints. Collectively, in 1 Corinthians 16, beginning verse 1, such support was collected on the first day of the week so that it would be ready to be taken to the saints in Jerusalem as soon as Paul got there. They were, they were to approve of someone to take this gift for them to Jerusalem. I'll talk about that more, too, in just a minute. But let's take another break. When we get back, we want to talk about did churches ever send money to other churches? And if they did, what was unique about the circumstances that led to one church sending money to another church? And that's been hinted at in our emails, and uh, we, we want to go to that in just uh, uh, when we come back. Uh, stick with us. We're going to continue our study, our examination of the sponsoring church arrangement right after this. You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. Hello, everyone. I'm Monty, a member of the College View Church of Christ. So if you've been hearing all about the College View Church of Christ on the virtual Bible study and are interested in finding out more about the church, but you live hundreds of miles away from Columbia, Tennessee, and can't come and visit with the congregation to find out more, there's no reason to fear. 
After all, we live in the 21st century. Here's what you can do to find out more about the College View Church of Christ. First, why don't you check out our website while you're listening to the virtual Bible study? You'll find important information about the church there, including bulletin articles there on various subjects and can even listen to sermons that have been presented at the College View Church in the past. Secondly, if you have questions about the church or about any Bible teaching, why don't you send an email to us and let us know how we can help. Send your questions to questions at collegeview.com. That address, once again, is questions at collegeview.com. We can even have a personal Bible study with you over email if you desire. And finally, if you would rather talk with someone in person, give us a call at 931-381-4567. That's 931-381-4567. You can call this number anytime. If you don't get an answer, leave a message and we'll call you back as soon as we can. We're glad you're listening to the virtual Bible study and hope to hear from you soon. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. Like all other translations, the King James Version has minor flaws. This is because it was produced by fallible humans. For instance, we find the use of the word Easter in Acts 12, verse 4. If the King James Version was perfect, that word would not be there. Instead, it would be properly translated as Passover. In fact, that word is found 29 times in the New Testament, and every other time the King James Version translators rendered it as Passover. It is well known that they used the word Easter in Acts 12, verse 4, to accommodate King James. He was the monarch who had commissioned their work in translating the Bible. Furthermore, if the King James Version was the perfect product of God's guidance, why did it undergo numerous revisions before the final form was settled on over 150 years after the original publication? The fact of the matter is that most of us would not be able to make any sense of the 1611 original version. Even those of us who love the King James Version must admit that there have been significant advances in the 400 years since the King James Version was originally published. Many additional pieces of manuscript evidence have been found, tremendous amounts of secular writings which quote the scriptures have been uncovered, and significant progress in understanding the Greek and Hebrew languages has made the translating process even more accurate. Without doubt, God is able to preserve his inspired word, and we firmly believe that he has done so. 1 Peter 1, verse 25. But only the message in the original languages was inspired. Since then, we depend upon translators to put it into our native tongues, not only English, but hundreds of other languages around the world. We have strong evidence that the King James Version translators and the translators of several other good English versions have done so in excellent fashion. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. A streaming Bible study. Why didn't I think of that? Now back to the guys. And this is the Virtual Bible Study. Thanks for joining us on this Thursday night. We try to be here every Thursday night, same time, same place, and we always appreciate you joining in with us and participating uh, in our study. Remember that this uh, Virtual Bible Study is brought to you by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. And you can find more about us as Monty's commercial that we just heard suggested. Go to our website at collegeview.com. Remember, College View is spelled funny, C-O-L-L-E-G-E-V-U-E, collegeview.com. You can find uh, archives of past sermons, uh, archives of our past bulletin articles. Uh, There's a lot of resource there. And then... It is that website is also directly linked to our virtual Bible study website, uh, and we've got uh, we've got hundreds of archived uh, uh, versions of the virtual Bible study 
discussing a huge array of different biblical subjects. Uh, a pretty good resource if you're studying something specifically. You might very well find it doing a quick search uh, on the virtual Bible study archives. Kyle, we've got uh, we've got a couple of YouTube channels. Yeah, which of course there's this one, the virtual Bible study. Then if you want to. You can search for College View. Actually, most times, uh, if I'm, it's not on a computer that I'm using, I just type in College View. College View live stream usually pops up pretty quickly there. So that's our sermon and Bible class, yeah, YouTube page. So a lot of stuff on there. Yeah. So YouTube. right now, and Kyle's good to, to sort of construct some playlists so that it, if we do something in series, Kyle usually has that up in a playlist on our YouTube channel. Uh, for instance, on Sunday mornings, we're studying the book of Ecclesiastes. You can go there and, and study with us. A very interesting book in the Old Testament. And we are just ready. Kyle, I assume you'll probably do a playlist of the upcoming Wednesday night Bible study. Uh, Kyle was quibbling at me for a long title to this upcoming quarter study. We're going to study marriage, marriage and divorce, marriage and divorce and remarriage. Uh, we're going to try to do that for 13 weeks uh, beginning next Wednesday night. You can, you can watch that as a live stream or you can go there and look at the archives, uh, af- after the, the study has concluded. And we think that'll be a real valuable study. So we hope you'll take advantage of that resource. All right, so we're talking about the sponsoring church arrangement. Uh, so as we said, and Kyle has had that chart up on the screen, the sponsoring church sets itself up as an overseeing middleman, really. Many congregations send to the the sponsoring church and the elders of the sponsoring church see to it that that money is is distributed, uh, spent to support preaching in, uh, in various ways and so forth. Uh, now, we're saying that those churches should not be sending money to the sponsoring church. The, 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 the churches that contribute to the sponsoring church are doing something that's not authorized. They're, they're participating in an arrangement that is nowhere found in the New Testament. But someone might object and say, wait a minute. Isn't it true that churches did sometimes send money to other churches? And the answer to that is yes. Uh, in matters of benevolence, churches did send money. For instance, the church at Jerusalem received support from other churches. Uh, the churches of Judea received uh, contributions from other churches. Remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 16? Uh, uh, verse 1, now concerning the collection for the saints... As I've given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Uh, and, and, and that, that the saints were the needy saints in Jerusalem. Uh, he says, when I come, whomsoever ye shall approve by your letters, then will I send to bring your liberality to Jerusalem. So he was instructing the church at Corinth to take up monies that would be sent to Jerusalem. Uh, so someone could say, oh, well, you guys are saying you, churches can't send money to other churches. Be careful about that because we didn't say that. We said there was never a case where they did it in a matter of evangelism, but there are cases where they did do it in matters of benevolence. Now, here's the <clears throat> new, unique thing, and I think Kent may have touched on this in, in his email. The situation was that the church at Jerusalem had a unique need. They had they had a work of their own mm-hmm. 
taking care of their own needy saints, and they weren't able to do it. And so they had a responsibility based on their unique circumstances. They had Christians of their number whose needs were not being met. So this wasn't a work that they had assumed. This wasn't a brotherhood work. This wasn't a a work bigger than their own local congregation. This was their own work, and they weren't able to get it done. You know, when we look at the chart that you've got here, it shows these other churches sent into this sponsoring church, uh, and then these churches are distributed out amongst the whole world or wherever that they're sending preachers or programs that they're trying to take care of. The pattern we find in the New Testament was there was a need in Jerusalem. The money was sent to the church, to the elders of the church at Jerusalem to distribute among their, the needy in their congregation. Yeah. Not to distribute amounts to the whole rest of the world and oversee that, but to the need that was among them. Exactly. And so if we're, if we're going to, if we were going to send it first off, the only pattern we have in the New Testament of sending money to another church is for benevolence. And it was the benevolence that was to be used among them, not a their worldwide own, benevolence their program. Own, their own benevolent yeah. need. Not, as you say, not something that they assume. Uh, they didn't as, assume the responsibility of being the, the benevolent clearinghouse mm-hmm. for the whole world. This was their specific need. It was their own unique need. And other churches could send money to them to in order for them to do the work that they were responsible for doing but it was not an assumed work they didn't put themselves in a position of overseeing something bigger than their own congregational work and we can see the logic in that plan because the church at corinth although they took up money for these people they don't know which individuals have needs or or the extent of their needs so if they send it to the elders of the church at jerusalem where the need was those people were familiar with the situations and they could distribute the money in a wise fashion. And so we can see through God's plan that he made an efficient process for doing that. We talked about people want to do things more efficiently. How could you send it more efficiently than to send it to the people that were already overseers there to, to efficiently distribute it to the people that genuinely needed it? Exactly right. Exactly right. Um, so we asked the question, when and if churches of the first century sent money to other churches, what were the unique and specific circumstances that existed? Kent says local benevolent needs for situations that were beyond their ability to carry out. Mm-hmm. Exactly right. Uh, Dwight says a severe famine was going on in Acts 11, and that's where one of them named Ag- Acts 11, beginning verse 28, one of them named Agabus stood up and indicated by the Spirit that there would definitely be a severe famine over all the world, and this took place in the reign of Claudius. And to the extent that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for relief of the brothers and sisters in Judea. And they and they did this, sending it with Barnabas and Saul to the elders. And so that 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 was the case. But notice that was the, that was the unique specific work of the Jerusalem church. And they just weren't able to get it done. And so other churches could help them in accomplishing that. But they but. Here's the difference. All churches are equally responsible for evangelism. In other words, a a big church in Nashville, Tennessee, is no more responsible for doing evangelism than the church at College View in Columbia, Tennessee is. A church in Abilene, Texas, is no more responsible to evangelize the world than the College View Church in Columbia, Tennessee is. We all... 
we all are equally obligated in regards to that. We're obligated to do what we can do. We're obligated to do the best that we can do. No more or no less. That would be true of a big church in Nashville or Abilene or Columbia. We all, in other words, the, the problem with these sponsoring church arrangements is they say, well, here's, here, let's, let's put ads in USA Today. Uh, we can't do it on our own, but it needs to be done. So you all send us money so we can do it. Who, who are they to take mm-hmm. on that responsibility? That's no more their job than anybody else's mm-hmm. job, but they are assuming that responsibility and then appointing themselves to be the overseers of carrying that work out. That's just, that's just totally, uh, unscriptural. Well, one thing about it, if you think about it, they're getting away from the pattern. Jesus said, go teach. He didn't say go run ads in a big worldwide newspaper. He said, go teach. If we'll do what Jesus said and go teach, we can do what the people that he sent to do that did in the first century. We can evangelize the world. You know, and that it's really just that simple. We can do it if we'll do it like God. If we'll do exactly what the apostles did and the Christians of the first century did, we can evangelize the world. Yeah. The, all these sponsoring church arrangements and missionary societies and all these things that we, we've been discussing uh, and all their grandest efforts and doing it different than God said, I'm 59 years old, be 64 too long. So in, in the 40, I know, but in the 40 old. years that the first century Christians managed to evangelize the whole world, these people with more people working at it than they had then haven't accomplished the same goal. Exactly. So if we would do it like God said, we could accomplish that same goal. Yeah, I think you're right. All right. Uh, let's grab our last break. And when we get back, uh, Monty, Let's talk about autonomy and independence of local churches and the limited scope of authority that elders have. Uh, I think that's a really important consideration in this broader discussion. So when we come back, we'll talk about autonomy, independence, and limitations on local church elders. Stick with us, and we'll go to the top of the hour right after this break. Did you hear what they just said? Call in during this break and let everyone know what you think. The virtual Bible study continues after this announcement. This is Stephen Nicholson, a member of the College View Church of Christ, and I want to invite you to be a regular participant on the virtual Bible study. Your input by way of emails and phone calls are always welcome during the live program. We're also open to your suggestions about possible topics for discussion on upcoming editions of the program. We'd love to hear from you anytime. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. Church members in America are in the minority for the first time in the last eight decades, with just 47% identifying with a congregation. That's according to a new Gallup poll. The number was 70% in 1999. A growth in adults with no religious preference combined with lower rates of church membership among people who do have a religion are major trends driving the decline. Younger generations hold the highest rates of those with no religious preference, including less than 35% of those born since 1980. That information is via the Baptist Press. The Word of God says in Ephesians 3, beginning verse 20, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Quit checking your email. The commercials are over and the virtual Bible study is ready to roll. Take it away, guys. And we're back on the virtual Bible study, going to the top of the hour, examining the sponsoring church arrangement, which I think our conclusion is obvious. Uh, Again, it's an unscriptural, 
unauthorized methodology. I, I would, I, I, I want to say that, you know, we, we're not, we're not casting off on people's motives. I think the people who tr- came up with this idea probably were well intentioned. I have no doubt of that. But, it, it, again, the end doesn't justify the means. And so we got to have scriptural means, uh, and this is not a scriptural means. One of the big problems, Money, and you suggested this to me in the break a minute ago, one of the big problems is that this violates the limitations placed on local church elders. You know, if you look in Acts chapter 20 and beginning about verse 17, uh, it says, Paul, they went to Miletus, and he sent for the elders of the church at Ephesus and called them to come meet with him. And then he talks to them here, and you go down here and you get to verse 28. He says, therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. And so the point I want to get at here is he told them, First off, the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseer. He didn't say flocks, because when we think about this sponsoring church arrangement, we've got lots of flocks sending money to this one, and, and, so, and, and they're overseeing the efforts of lots of flocks. So they're not just overseeing a flock; they're overseeing flocks. flocks. They're they're overseeing at least part of the of, yeah, of, of the, the work acti- of other flocks. Yeah. And so he said, oversee the flock amongst, and that the Holy Spirit had made over. So he's talking about the local congregation. He didn't send for the churches at Ephesus and Laodicea and 14 other churches or whatever. He sent for one specific group of men and told them to oversee the, fl- the flock amongst which the Holy Spirit had made them overseers. And so Paul, it's clear that Paul didn't say, you've got to oversee the work of the churches, a bunch of churches all over the place. He said, take care of your own business right here where you're at. Exactly right. A, a, a passage that goes right in hand with what Monty was just uh, referencing is First Peter chapter 5. In First Peter chapter 5, Peter says, The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker in the glory that shall be revealed. So Peter says, I'm writing to you elders. He, Peter says, I myself happen to be an elder. He says, I'm writing to you elders. What did he tell the elders? Verse 2, 1 Peter 5, verse 2, feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, not as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. So to elders, feed the flock which is among you. Mm -hmm. These sponsoring church uh, uh, elders are not just overseeing the flock among them. They're overseeing lots of others, right? Uh, so it's a violation of the limitations placed on local church elders. It's also a violation of what we refer to as autonomy and independence. Autonomy is means self-governed, and independent is obviously you know not dependent on someone else. Mm-hmm. Local congregations in the first century were autonomous and independent. Now. The question has been asked, and I think it's really a fair question. If, if in that chart that we've had up on the screen, if those churches can send some money to the sponsoring church to oversee some evangelistic efforts, if they can, if they can surrender the oversight of that money to the sponsoring church elders to oversee, if they could surrender some of their oversight 
Why couldn't they surrender all their oversight? If they can send some of the money that's contributed at, at the local level to the sponsoring church elders, why couldn't they send all of the money to the sponsoring church elders and let the sponsoring church elders oversee it all? Now, honestly, people would object to that. Yeah. They would quickly object to that, but it's, it's, it's just, it's, it's not a, it's just a matter of degree. It's, it, there's no difference really. You know, if you're saying that this group of elders over here can do a better job of overseeing than what we can do, then we probably ought to let them do all of our stuff. If just from a physical standpoint, a worldly standpoint, it would make sense. Well, if they're better than me, I need to let them do it. Well, but that's not the pattern we read about in the Bible. We exactly. can't find that example about any of the work of the church exactly. in the Bible. Yeah. Uh, Kent says, by autonomy and independence, we refer to that self-rule and or self-government. Elders have no authority to oversee the works of other local churches, and local churches have no inherent right to give up even a very small portion of their independence and autonomy. And he references 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 4. Good, Kent, exactly right. Dwight says the word autonomy is defined as self-governing. So each individual church governs its own congregation. Examples would be of church, elders of church A would not be over church B or C and so forth. Also, it appoints its own elders, not some other church or organization. I think you're right. Dwight. You know, if you think about it, uh, <coughs> Jesus could have saved himself and, the, and John a lot of writing. If when he wrote in Revelation, beginning in Revelation chapter 2, the letters to the seven churches of Asia, he could have just started out to the angel of the church at Ephesus, right? Here's what you need to do and oversee the work of them other six churches, too, in that area. Yeah, because they were all in the but, same because area. Because they're all in that city. This this what was described as Asia there. Yeah. So y- y'all take care of this for me and take care of all these other churches. But he didn't do that. He wrote to seven individual autonomous locations of his people and said, here's what I want you to take care of. Exactly right. I got a, I got a uh, comment in the chat room from Brian in California. I've been holding this, Brian. I hadn't ignored you. I've just been holding this to, to this point of our study. He says, I've read where incorporation was often enacted for the purposes of conforming to legal requirements and maintenance of real property. In other words, local congregations legally incorporating. Mm-hmm. He says, if a body of Christians guided by Scripture elders should assume this legal designation unto themselves as well, is it still nonetheless what it always was, a body of appointed elders overseeing a congregational work? If it walks like a duck and talks like a duck, is it still a duck, or does the label board taint the biblical pattern? I, I think I have heard of that, too, you know, that it, in some localities, churches incorporated for for legal purposes mm-hmm. for business for for maybe being able to do banking or buy property or something else and so it's it's just basically a legal designation mm-hmm. that makes it possible for them to do business but i think the key is it's still a local congregation it's not a conglomeration of congregations it's not 10 congregations incorporating under the oversight of one set of elders, that's what it's not. Yeah. You know, I had never heard of that before myself, but as long as the organization is still what the Bible describes, then you're still what we're reading about in the Bible. We're New Testament Christians doing things God's way. If the state wants some legal designation over us above that, then the state can do that, I guess. But we're still going to follow the Bible pattern. Exactly. Exactly right. All right. 
Uh, we just got a couple minutes left. We got one last question. It has been pointed out that the sponsoring church plan is based upon an erroneous standard of ascertaining responsibility. To what extent are local churches responsible in the field of evangelism? I was talking about this a little bit earlier, Monty. In other words, how how responsible are we at College View for for evangelism? We're responsible to evangelize to the best of our abilities everybody that we can. Exactly right. So... You know, we're not, we're not an enormously large congregation. We're not a terribly small one either, but we have an ability to do X amount of evangelistic mm-hmm. work. You know, we, we always say, and it's true of individuals, but it would be true of the collective congregation as well. Responsibility is a bil- when, when ability meets opportunity, we have responsibility. That's right. So, is there an opportunity to teach the lost? There is. Always. The, the world is full of lost centers. So there's plenty of opportunity. Do we have an ability? Yes, we do. To some extent, every congregation is going to be somewhat different in how much ability they have, but they have some ability. So the opportunity is obviously there. The ability is going to vary from congregation to congregation, but every congregation has some ability. And so... To that extent, then they are responsible. You know, those letters you read a while ago, several of them mentioned a a work that was beyond their ability, you might say, or beyond their capabilities. Okay, if it's beyond your ability, it's not your responsibility. They are assuming something that wasn't theirs to begin with. That is exactly right. Exactly right. And and so, again, men men have come up with these grand schemes because they have decided that they have a responsibility that the Lord never put on them. Mm -hmm. Exactly right. Uh, Kent says, God does not authorize any work of any local New Testament church that is beyond their ability. A local church is responsible to evangelize that comes within the purview of their ability. Even then, they must always respect the concepts of independence and autonomy. Dwight says, each individual local church is able to collect money for evangelism, including the support for the preacher, gospel meetings, helping widows who are widows indeed and needy saints. The church can purchase tracts to take door-to-door as well as Bibles to hand out or even a website to promote truth in articles, sermons, and classes. But notice, he speaks of the individual congregation mm-hmm. doing its own work, not not assuming a greater work or not giving up its work to some other church in order for them to carry it out. So the sponsoring church arrangement, this has been a really divisive matter. Uh, you don't hear about it a lot anymore. And, and I'm afraid that if you were asked some folks in, among churches of Christ, what is a sponsoring church? I think, that, uh, sadly, I think that there'd be a lot of people who, who couldn't answer that question. They don't know what we're talking about here. you you, you got to be informed about this because it is an unscriptural methodology that must not be employed. You know, and we we have an opportunity, as you said, as far as teaching or evangelism goes, to not only to teach what the truth is, but also to expose error. Yeah. And so this arrangement that, that man has come up with is not the arrangement found in the Bible. It's therefore it's error, and we have a responsibility to expose that. I think you're right. Kyle, anything to add here? Uh, which is a good, it's a great study. It's, uh, we need to be, make sure we're keeping educated and also people who've never even heard of sponsoring church arrangement, the people who've never even heard of 
you know, the divisions within the church. So this is, it's, it exists. The sponsoring churches do exist and they need to know why it is wrong. So it's a, it's a good study. I think it's, I think you're right. Kyle, thanks for running the board for us. Monty, thanks for participating this week. Thank you for letting me help. We appreciate it very much. Thanks to all who have listened uh, to the virtual Bible study uh, tonight. We hope that the the things we've discussed have been helpful and informative. Uh, We we cannot ignore these kinds of issues. It's critical (laughs) for us to understand. And and sadly, this has caused a lot of division among churches of Christ. And it's part of the reason why. Local congregations are alienated from one another because some see no problem with organizing in this fashion. Others of us say it can't be done. We can't go along with that. That's not scriptural. And so it it has sadly caused division among churches of Christ. All right, that's our study for tonight. We thank you for being out there to listen to the virtual Bible study. We encourage you to be back next Thursday night, same time, same place, Lord willing. And we'll conduct another study from God's Word. Until that time, I think Jacob always says, read and study your Bible. Live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the virtual Bible study. Thanks for listening to the virtual Bible study brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.